Hello everyone, this is Eva Nolik-Smith with Yoga You Online and I'm very excited to be here today with renowned yoga teacher Judith Hansen-Lassiter. Judith has been a yoga teacher for more than 40 years and I think it's safe to say that she is one of the most well-known and beloved yoga teachers we have today, not just in North America but worldwide. What is most remarkable about Judith's teaching is that she combines deep knowledge of alignment in yoga poses from studies with Mr. B.K.S. Iyengar, as well as deep knowledge of yoga anatomy from her studies as a physical therapist. And on top of that, she has a PhD in East-West psychology which gives Judith what most people consider a unique and wonderfully deep insight into yoga philosophy and many, many insights into how we can apply the wisdom of yoga to our practice and daily living. So welcome, Judith. We are very honored to have you join us today. Judith, you have been a teacher for more than 40 years, and I think it's safe to say that you are one of the most well-known and beloved teachers, not just in North America, but worldwide. And I think what is so remarkable about your teaching of yoga is that you combine deep knowledge of alignment in yoga poses from your studies with uh, Mr. Iyengar, and then your deep knowledge of yoga anatomy from your studies as a physical therapist. And then you also have this element of uh, yoga philosophy where you really apply the knowledge and the wisdom of yoga uh, more in your teaching than most yoga teachers do today. And I think that comes from your studies of East-West uh, philosophy. Is that correct? You have a PhD in that as well? East-West psychology. Psychology. Mm -hmm. So welcome. We're very, very honored to have you join us today. Well, Eva, thank you so much for that kind introduction. When you were rattling off all those things, I started feeling really tired. Like, how did I ever do all those things? <laughs> I started my practice in 1970, and I started teaching 10 months later. Took over a yoga program, and... Uh, I fell in love with my yoga, my first class, and then I fell in love with teaching after my first class. The beginning of my first class, I was terrified, but at, by, at the end, I, I started realizing that this is what I wanted to do. And I have always had the sense that there is really no difference between the way I do trikonasana or the way I exhale or the way I live or how I want to become uh, a friend to myself by observation and, and letting go of my attachments and noticing my thoughts. And in other words, I, I don't understand how people teach yoga without that because that to me is what makes an asana an asana it's the intention with which we take it it's the it's the ritual of it, it it's a an, an asana is a archetype 
archetypal in the Jungian sense expression of our whole being. And if I've learned anything in all these years of practice and teaching is that you simply cannot separate the body, the emotions, the mind, and the soul. That's what it means to be a human being, to be incarnated with this Atman that is part of the whole and yet to be living flesh that, that all of who we are is what we bring to the mat. And the more we know that and the less, and the less fear we have about that and the more we accept that, the more integrated we have the potential to become. Mm, that's beautiful. And then it works both ways, right? What we are on the mat, we also bring with us back into the rest of our lives, meaning that whatever habits we can cultivate through what we learn through our yoga practice, it'll also spill back over into our lives. Is that... Yes, I agree with you. It's a dance, you know, There, the way we do asana is the way we do our life. Are we aggressive? Are we halfway doing it? Are we resenting it? Are we loving it? Are we using it as an escape? Are we using it uh, to manipulate ourselves mm. away and call that discipline? It's, it's a mirror. The practice is neutral. The poses are neutral. And what they do is show us who we are. There's a wonderful story in the Vedas about a village that was having a drought. And one day, uh, some men came in with wagons and they said, go get a container, we brought you water. And some people showed up with a bucket and some people came with a barrel. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the way it is with yoga practice. I was very lucky that the, I, when I took my very first class back in 1970, I somehow intuited or was luck, lucky enough to understand that this was sacred movement. Yeah. It wasn't just working out or stretching. It yeah. was sacred movement and that it, that's what caught me about it. And so whatever container, if you will, we bring to the mat, whatever hope we bring to the mat whatever possibility we're seeking we're going to find that because everything is there mm. if you just want to get strong and flexible that's there if you want to cultivate a deeper practice that's there the variable is not the practice it's not the pose it's not the breath it's not the meditation technique it's not the mat Variable is you and me, but when we choose the practice, mm. take it through our own system, our own memories, our own experiences, our own genetics, our own language, when we take, that's when it's transformed, when it roots in us, but we're, we're the catalyst for yoga. Right, right. So you're saying the intent we bring to the mat informs our practice yep i think so because it's 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 like every other long relationship and i know you've been in long relationships 
is that sometimes you're very close, like in marriage, for example, you're, you can be very close and sometimes you're not very close and then there's everything in between. Right. And it varies because human beings vary. Like who am I on the mat today? What do I need from the mat is certainly a question most of us ask. What am I going to get? But the, the other half of that question is, what am I going to give to the mat? What, the mat meaning my practice, which means myself, observation. So what, not only am I going to get from it, but what am I going to give to it? Mm. And one of the questions that I may talk about when we do our, our two sessions on restorative yoga is this question. What am I allowing to have my attention right now? Mm. Is it my phone? Is it my computer? Mm. Is it my child? Because if we're on the mat and not really there, it's an exercise. Mm. But if right, we take right. one breath in gratitude, that changes everything. It's beautiful, it's beautiful. I think also one of the things that people really love about you is that you're never afraid of being you. So um, I think <laughs> there's uh, like in yoga as in everything else in life, there are certain trends that take roots. And so everyone goes with the trends. And I think generally speaking, modern posture yoga, one of the trends that we see is you know, faster yoga, sort of somewhat um, pushing yourself harder, yoga that maybe echoes a little bit of the achievement-oriented culture we live in. And you are here, the queen of restorative yoga, going the opposite direction, which is one of the things I really admire about you and I know a lot of other people do. How did you get involved with restorative yoga? How did that um, get such a big element in your practice and your teaching that you um, wrote first one book about it and, and now two books? Well, I, it has kind of a two-part answer. The shorter one is that I studied so much with BKS Iyengar and uh, was introduced to the use of props, which was a very radical idea back in the States and in, in the United States in like 1974. People really rebelled against it. Why do you need these props? And people didn't even like using the wall for a prop. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, Mr. Unger pointed out you use the floor. <laughs> so he said uh, the body is a prop to the soul. So he was the one that introduced me, of course, because uh, he's the one who developed this in the modern era. There are actually paintings and sculptures from 14th century, maybe earlier of people using props in yoga. There's one I remember seeing a few years ago. It was about a four and a half foot statue of a yogi sitting in uh, easy cross-legged pose when he had a belt around, looped around both his knees to hold them. And I'm so excited when I see that because there's <laughs> propping in yoga. Right, right. So it's developed in the modern age by BKS. But you might enjoy hearing briefly the story of the first restorative class I, I taught. I was teaching up on the plains of Canada 
out, I don't know, I think it was maybe Alberta. Anyway, it was, way, it's, it was out west in Canada and uh, it was late in the year. So it was getting dark on Sunday, late Sunday afternoon. It was already getting dark when we were finishing our weekend workshop. And uh, a big bank of black clouds came rolling across the plains and suddenly there was lightning and thunder and the lights went out in the hall. So there were a lot of people there and it was pretty hard to see. And I thought, gee, we're gonna run into each other. So I just said, okay, take this bolster and just lie over it. Because <laughs> I thought it would be safer. People were lying down and still. And they said, oh, the focus. I said, I just sort of been making these things up. Okay, lie this way. Now put your feet there. Now put your head there. Now, and we just sort of pose by pose kind of just stumbled. I just stumbled into teaching a restorative class. So. It's going to happen by accident. And then I didn't teach it again for years. <laughs> but that, then, per, then the, I guess there's a third part to the story is that uh, my brother, twin brother became ill and passed away. Uh, and he ended up dying on our 45th birthday. Oh. And, and uh, after that, it was really hard for me to want to do handstands, you know? <laughs> right. So I, for a long time, for like almost a year, like all I did was restorative yoga, especially Sukta Bhadi Kanasana, well supported, uh, because that's all I could do. Wow. And then my friend and first publisher, she was, she and her husband had a small publishing company, and she said, why don't you write a book on restorative yoga? And that was in 1993. He had passed in 92. So I did. And that was Relax and Renew, my first book on restorative yoga. And mm. it, it, it seemed to somehow magically start to appear right when people really needed it. And it's certainly in a post 9-11 world, I actually taught my first restorative, te restorative teacher training two months before 9-11. Yeah. And, uh, that was really exactly what we need. Uh, we need to be still, quiet, dark, and warm. Mm. You know, the doshas, it's calming to vata dosha, but it is, it is time, it is necessary, it is not a luxury that we must have introverted, quiet time, if at all possible in our lives, because our nervous system think our nervous system is so hyper-stimulated and over-caffeinated and we don't sleep enough. Mm. And all of these things can be very detrimental to your health. And we've, you know, we've whipped the, in, in the West pretty much, we've whipped the contagious diseases and the diseases we have are the wear and tear diseases, the diseases mm. we get from eating poorly, right. and from being inactive, and from being uh, emotionally distraught and anxious and depressed. And we need, you know, there is a difference between be lying on the couch and vegging out and doing a restorative pose. Mm. We need to understand the wisdom of stillness and reflection. The world needs people who are self-reflective and not anxious. 
The freeways need people like that. The cities need people like that. The governments need people in them who are stable and introspective. Mm. And, and when we are introspective, I think it's easier to be compassionate and kind because we can begin to see the other as self. You know, I, I, I have said this before, but I think that what we need to do is we need to deeply forgive ourselves. Mm-hmm. And this is not a wimpy kind of forgiveness. This is, this is a deeply rooted, fierce willingness to let go of our guilt and our shame and, 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 our, and our attachment to what we believe are our failures. Mm-hmm. And to recognize how we may have hurt self or others, accept that responsibility, and then forgive ourselves. Because when we do that, there's a softness and a delight in our practice. It's mm-hmm. not about force or punishment or aggression. And then when we do forgive ourselves deeply, we can forgive others because the world needs forgiveness. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. I have a, a quote here from uh, one of your fans. <laughs> mm. uh, one of your students who posted her experience online with uh, practicing restorative yoga. And I was really struck about what she's saying and I'll read it to you. She says, I I have a quite demanding job that often leaves me exhausted by the end of the day. There are days I come home with breathing difficulties, hurting eyes from sitting in front of the computer, headache and tension in my whole body. I use restorative yoga every day and it covers the most important issues related to stress that you may have problem with. I use the basic routine with four to five poses every day right after work. Sometimes as today, I felt my breath was a little disrupted and I did some poses from the routine for difficulties in breathing. It really works miracles, which is just a beautiful testimonial to the power of restorative yoga. And I think as an outsider, you look at it, you see someone lying on a bunch of bolsters for 10, 15 minutes and you're like, what is the big deal? So how is restorative yoga so powerful? Because obviously um, your work with restorative yoga has been hugely popular and it is something that really has changed the lives of many, many people. What makes it so different from ordinary rest or lying on the couch? I think it's what we started with was that the intention Let me tell you a little story. Years and years ago in another state, long before yoga was popular, quote unquote, with Hollywood stars, and in a place where you would not think people would practice yoga, even if they knew about it, I was somehow asked to go to a high school and teach a yoga class at one of their clubs. I, I, I don't even remember how this came about. 
So there I was teaching in a classroom where they pushed all the desks back and we had this mats and we're teaching, was teaching this class. And I got to Shavasana and I was trying to explain to these teenagers the idea of Shavasana. And one young man raised his hand and he said to me, oh, I get it. Your body sleeps and your mind watches. And I said, yes, sort of nonchalantly, but I never forgot that. I just wrote it mentally down in my head. And I thought that was a perfect explanation. Right. right. Uh, it's, it's a very concrete way to take people into a meditative state. Um, many people do not have the ability to sit in a half lotus. You know, maybe they can sit in a chair, but sitting meditation requires a, a more than people realize because the posture is everything. When you change your physical posture, you change your brain function. This is a scientific fact. You have your head lower than your heart, higher than your heart. If you have a forward head pushing, for, pushing forward, you interrupt. It changes your breathing and puts stress on your muscle. I mean, sitting really elegantly with normal spinal curves, you know, the ability to sit there for 20 minutes without moving is way past what most people can do. Right. And so when you put them in these position, uh, a restorative position with props, which supports the body and creates a feeling of ease. So my definition of restorative yoga is the use of props to support the body in positions of comfort and ease to facilitate health and relaxation. And it mm -hmm. turns out, Eva, that relaxation and health are the same thing. Right, right, yeah. Nothing isn't better without relaxation. So it was, I had an interesting experience today. I studied the piano and due to circumstances, partly beyond my control, I practice usually every day for at least 20 minutes, sometimes an hour, I love it. But, but there was travel, there's been some serious sickness in my extended family. And then I had dropped apparently a couple of pens or in you know writing pens into the piano and they sort of moving oh. around and they were interfering with some of the hammers and I didn't want to try to force it or play so I had a piano lesson today and I had really practiced you know it's been two weeks and I practiced like once and usually when I'm my piano lesson my piano teacher is so such an incredible artist like I I have a judgment like we do like oh I have to be perfect for her you know which I'm not but today I was just so relaxed because I I knew I just said this today just needs to be a practice lesson, so maybe you can give me some hints. But I and I was so surprised. I just sat down, I was so completely relaxed, and I did, I did well. And I thought, interesting. I didn't practice, but my body remembers. Right. right. Oh yes, that's not bad. Not bad. Not bad. And uh, and I thought, hmm, why can't I be more like this all the time? <laughs> in my piano. <laughs> you know. There's a wonderful Buddhist story you may know about a strawberry. And there's a monk out walking in, in the forest and he comes to a, he looks around and he, he sees that there's a tiger slowly following him. So he kind of starts hurrying and he suddenly comes up to a big cliff, a drop off. 
and but he sees a thick root or vine growing there and so he's he gets down and he gets on and he starts to climb down to escape the tiger but then he looks down and he sees there's another tiger at the bottom so there's a tiger at the top and a tiger at the bottom and to make matters worse this this root or this vine is starting to tear then he glances to the side and there he sees growing on the side of the cliff the reddest juiciest most perfect strawberry he's ever seen so what does he do he reaches over he takes the strawberry and eats it so i translate that into a mantra which is eat the strawberry which means death is coming right Right. We are mortal. You know, you're going to yeah. the tiger at the top or the tiger at the bottom or the falling, the tearing vine. <laughs> you know, there is no escape. Right. right. There is no way to live a life without stress or difficulties or suffering. There's happy times, too. But so what are we to do? And this story tells us eat the strawberry. It's one of my favorite mantras. Like this moment, you're still alive. Right. And so when we do restorative yoga 20 minutes a day and we release the tension, which is the past, I think, I think of the tension in our body, our muscles and our soft tissue is like the past. And we let go of the past and we sink deeply into the present. We are eating the strawberry and the deliciousness of this wonderful, quiet moment with no ambition and no judgment and no no one needs us. There's nothing to produce. We lying there on the floor with our props and our eyes covered in this moment of ease are completely enough. We don't have to earn anything, prove anything, do anything. And there is something so healing, both physically and spiritually and emotionally, about letting go deeply into your own self. Mm-hmm. And then you are a different person after that and you make different choices and you, you have more kindness and more, less irascibility, less reactivity, less impatience. Hmm. It's your gift to the world. You are your gift to the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's one of the um, few antidotes we have to this, constant assault on the nervous system that we have in our modern life where our routines are discombobulated, we're subject to all sorts of physical and mental demands all life long, we're overstimulated, and we don't really have a concept of how much that does on our, to our nervous system and really lying down in a restorative yoga pose and just being mindful with the body is just a healing bomb for the for the nervous system in so many different ways. Exactly, and you know the thing is, I I said earlier, to what uh, what am I allowing to have my attention right now? Mm-hmm. And if you really work with that question in the day, you'll see it's other people, tasks, uh, right, right, and and it's never really yourself. And yeah. this is the twenty minutes when you give your full attention to yourself. Yeah, that's beautiful. And you find that you're, you, you become aware of when you lie there that you're uneven or that you're holding, ten, where you're holding tension in your jaw, in your tongue, in your shoulder, in your gut. And 
you find your you find a different state of harmony by by watching and observing lovingly and simply being with yourself which is a form of meditation that's as you said earlier yes very beautiful and we of course are super excited and feeling very honored because you will be offering a, a course on on restorative yoga and what you consider some of the most element important elements of a restorative practice so tell us about the course and what you are offering as part of it well, what i'd like to do is to take a few poses and talk a little bit about them and then show you some photos of the setup what the setup looks like empty and then how the model looks in the setup and then i'd like to hopefully that you will practice it and i so then i thought that the third thing that i would do is sort of talk you through the pose and you can imagine we're in a class together and i'm teaching you the pose and so you could have the, the the knowledge the visual understanding the knowledge of the pose about what to look for what to avoid maybe some of the benefits but then also the experience of actually doing it so i'm hoping that our listeners will have their yoga props and maybe we could uh, give them suggestions for what they might want to have nearby when they listen or when they re-listen to the to the course and they could practice with us yes yes you'll have to give us a list uh bolster blanket blocks oh i'll send you the list yes <laughs> well we'll all be ready wonderful well judith thank you so much for joining us and um we're thrilled that you'll be offering this course on yoga you and I want to personally thank you for kind of being a fan bearer or whatever it's called, just like a real uh, example of living your yoga in so many different ways and standing for all the different aspects of yoga practice, not just the asana practice, but the, um, the breathing component and very importantly, the spiritual meditative meditative component as well so thank you so much well and i'd like to, you're welcome and i'd like to thank you because you spend your life and your life energy and your time uh creating courses for people to learn about yoga and that's a great and deep service to the world and i want you to know that it does not go unnoticed Bye. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I started later than everyone else, so I have a lot of catching up to do. Well, you know, the way I think about it, let's say there's big debates, but let's just pick a round number, 5,000 years old, right? Let's uh -huh. just say that. Could be incorrect, could be much less than that, but just for fun. Well, I've been practicing for 48 years. So 48 years in one hand, 5,000 years in another hand. <laughs> I'm definitely a beginner. Right. We're, we're all beginners. And we, you know, and plus the fact, even you don't know what you did in your last lifetimes. Maybe you were a yogi then. Could have been, yes. So you, you start when it's right for you. Right. Start when it's right for you. Do something every day. You know, find your yoga and love it. Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah. 
and it's a beautiful journey. Every Never day. boring. Never boring. Well, Judith, again, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we very, very much look forward to your course. Thank you. And we'll, it'll come soon. And I hope that uh, maybe after we do the, the, the course, or at some point, you'll be able to get on the floor and turn it on and do a Shavasana with me. That would be great joy for me. That would be a lot of fun. <laughs> All right. Take care. Namaste. Namaste.